Move your paddle silently through the water. Enaiwi o te motu, nau mai piki mai kake mai ki tēnei hōtaka a te ahikā. Ko Maraia Rakuraku ahau. Ko Justin Murray ahau. This is Te Ahikā on Radio New Zealand National. I'm sure everyone had a good break over Easter. It was a busy one there. Hawera, which hosted the Hui Aranga, the annual gathering of Catholic Māori. Uruatoki. Big weekend for Uruatoki. They hosted the Hui Ahure Atuhui. And then over in Te Waimana at Rahiri Marae, where all my whanau was staying. Entering a new job is always nerve-wracking, and for Afina Tumi, Kaitiaki Taonga Māori at Wanganui Regional Museum, I'm sure there were times when she felt she was a farmer tilling unfurrowed land, as she said about making changes at the institution. The system that they used to accession or to bring things into the museum, there was no real system back in the old days. So you'd be lucky if you find an old note that says, one kōrawai, one tiki was received on this particular day. It won't say who from, it won't say which kōrawai. So when we're trying to look for those things and, and put a date on it or say when it arrived here, we can't always find out. Mm. So we more leaned, we lean more towards things that are provenance from the wider area that we we service. Join us for a tour of the exhibits at the Whanganui Regional Museum that include models of the traps and nets used to entice and then capture birds and tuna eels. Now that's fitting considering the moon over the past week, perfect for trapping tuna. In 2011, Sing Along with the Utes became an album that, well, caught on. And the reason is clear when you hear the familiar songs the group play. There's Nga Iwi E. Tutera mai na iwi, e papa waiari, en a e i o u, to name a few kohana classics, that most of us know and remember fondly. Aye, very fondly. And it was a all between Gary Nicholas from Toi Māori and Rotorua singer and head of the Aotearoa National Māori Choir, Rim de Paul, that resulted in a joint performance between the Utes and the choir at this year's WOMAD Festival in Taranaki. Justin Murray, Radio New Zealand National, Tiahika. It's a beautiful Wellington uh, day. And nestled on the hill, and nestled on a hill in Wellington is the Wellington Car Club. From the outset, looks pretty derelict, actually. Slightly abandoned feeling about it. But if you walk closer, of course, you can hear the sweet melodies of the Utes and Rimdi Paul. They are here practising or rehearsing uh, for Womad Taranaki 2013, which, as of today, is only three days away. And Rimdi Paul is from the uh, reinvigorated group, the National Aotearoa Māori Choir, and he's here rehearsing. So I'm here to uh, catch up with Rim and to talk about the, uh, the collaboration. Tēnā koutou katoa, um, ko haparangi te maunga, ko pūranga te awa, ko roturua kahumata mamoe te roto, ko ngāti tuara, ngāti kearoa, ngāti wāhea o me tūhaurangi, ngā hapū, iwi, 
o te arawa te iwi ko te arawa te waka a te rata taha o tōku whaia engari ko tōku mātua ko pūtawa ki te maunga ko rangitai ki te awa ko Ngāti Pūkeko, Ngāti Awa te hapū me te iwi engari tuarua ko Ngāti Whakahimo, Ngāti Mākino me Ngāti Whakaue ko Poroporo Kia reira Pukihina te marae. Ko tōku moe kainga, ko Little Waihi i te rataho te puke o Maketu. Nō reira ōku nei tipuranga ko Rotorua. Ko te kāreti o te aute. Me... That's a long time ago. <laughs> now, speaking of things a long time ago, um, Rim, obviously, you know, you have a very colourful background in, in terms of music. Um, most notably for me is, is your time at the Quintickies. Would you consider that uh, oh, a highlight? Very much a highlight, yes. But, yeah, it started back in... Tamate Kapua when I was in my final year at uh, high school in Rotorua, 1958. And I started singing with my father's band, uh, called the Thai Paul and the Puhutu Boys. And, um, the, well, it used to be called the Tama Dancers. And it was the rage during the 50s and 60s. But I left overseas in 1960 with a group, uh, the second of the Māori show bands group was the High Quins. And we went to Australia, Sydney, and throughout Europe. But I came back uh, towards the end of 1963 and um, was asked by a couple of the guys, uh, Weasel Taioroa and Anzac Tioka, to... um, uh, Well, they were were getting itchy feet. They had done (laughs) tours, uh, several tours in New Zealand, with Chubby Checker, with uh, Howard Mm. Morrison Quartet, and... They really wanted to get back overseas because both of them had been in Surfers Paradise in the early 60s too. We had to restructure the band. There was about eight in the group and we had to sort of downsize it all. And uh, unfortunately, any so-called girlfriends or wives had to be, um, had to say farewell to them or unless they wanted to sort of come over, find their own way. But Distraction. Because, yeah, I mean, for young Māoris, we were still now early 20s. And um, the world was our oyster. Um, we had to learn how to face that fact and learn the recipe of uh, what allow us to sort of reach whatever heights we wanted to. So those things were put in place and agreed to by all. Well, the, I, I left the group uh, in 1967, went solo. I felt it was time at that time for me to... Do your own thing. Yeah. And um, And just to clarify, Rum, you were the front front lead singer, the lead vocalist? For the Quintiggies? Yes. Well, for both uh, two groups that I was in, the High Queens as well as the Quintiggies, yeah. Then when did you eventually come home? Because were you based out of Australia? Um, Yeah, I was in Sydney right up until about 1980. Then I went back to Surface Paradise. Um, The kind of work that... was happening in Sydney was starting to get a bit too commercial, too, oh, I don't know, 
saturated. And, well, too many. It, was, it had got over saturation point and it was starting, to me, it was going downhill and thought I'd better get out before, um, you know, before I sort of got lost in that whirlpool. So I went back to service and joined the band again. It was another Māori show band led by my granduncle, uh, Nuki Waka, up in Service Paradise, Chevron Hotel. So I worked there for about three three years. Then then that broke up. By then I had already sort of acquired skills of being a one-man band. <laughs> and I came back home in 1987 to um, help celebrate my mother's 70th birthday at the time. And um, a job was lined up at the Princess Gate in Rotorua. Um, I did that for a month and was offered a job by the YMCA to teach music on music module. So by 1988, I um, became a teacher of music. And that lasted about 12 months in that capacity, but I sort of found out in that 12 months the, um, the young people... They, you know, I, I, I realised what the, they needed to have, you know, the skills they required. But, um, you know, typical Māori, I suppose. I don't want to learn all that theory stuff, man. I left school because of all that. All I want to do is do play. Is just play, yeah. Well, you know, having come through the ranks of uh, what music was about at that time, uh, 20 years by that time, well, nearly 30 years, um, you know, I said, well, you've got to learn to read music before you, if you think you're getting a, a job, a sustainable job. Yeah, yeah. But no, that was a bit hard, a bit hard for them and a bit far hard for me to um, do anything about it at that time. But at, at the same time, I started the National Māori Choir. Yes, yes. In 1989, 90, for the 1990 celebrations. And whilst I was, the, was with the choir, I sort of realised by working with uh, some of the kaumātua, uh, Morvan Simon, uh, um Kelly Harris, Gooch Parahi, Rahu Kātene and others, I sort of realised that um, there is a way that I could be able to change the way in which I could teach music. And that was using things that I had picked up because I was also in search of my Māori tanga. I knew where I was from, and I grew up at Whakarewarewa, so, you know, we learnt a whole lot of things there, yes. the cultural side and uh, kapahaka and whatnot. But um, having been overseas for 30 years at the time, uh, I'd lost the art of speaking it. Because you don't do it every day. No, yeah, you know. of course not, yep. for years. And um, at that time, in the um, 80s, you know, people were coming over there and fake ordered and all that, and you know, I was wanting. I could say a few words and a few phrases, and that's it. And uh, I was embarrassed, so I wanted to come back home and learn my Maori tanga. In the early 1990s, Rim was instrumental in forming the National Maori Choir. Its members were scattered around Aotearoa. In 2002, due to inactivity, the group disbanded until last year. Um, with the reformation of the National Māori Choir, um, you know, I'm trying to instil in them the uh, the values that are written in the books and whatnot, and 
although we haven't actually had a music lesson, we've just been flat out trying to learn the songs for the Kaupapa Wome. Yes, and it's speaking mm. of that Kaupapa Rim, so uh, the I read that the choir wasn't really oper- well, wasn't operational for a decade. Is that That's right? right. Yeah. yeah, about nineteen, uh, two thousand and two, I think. Yep. Was the last time we performed. And so Toy Māori approached you to re Gary Nicholas from Toy Māori, he um, heard. I, I think, I guess someone from WOMAD contacted him and said, you know, how about getting the National Māori Choir back together? So Gary uh, rang me up and we spoke about it. Uh, and I told him that, you know, I'd get it back, but not for all time's sake. That's right. Because it was too much of hard work for me having to um, virtually administer it and write the music for it. Yes, so you, Gary Nicholas approached you, said, yep. how and about... I get the choir back, and I said, well, let's find a way to sustain it. He said, well, for starters, Toy Māori Aotearoa, administ- do the administration. I said, oh, what does that mean? <laughs> and he said, find the funding, we'll organise the you know, travel, accommodation, blah, 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 and look after the books. It's a good start, Gary. Yes. My name's Daniel Yebsley, and um, yeah, I'm with the Utes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the bass player. You're the bass player? Yeah. Cool. Was it um, officially that the Utes um, released the album? Was it, was it last year or 2011? It's at one of those times. And they and basically it features a play on Waiata Māori. How did the concept come about? Well, that's a good question. We were... Um, the Utes had existed for a, for a wee while because um, we we'd been sort of investigating the old um, Jamaican ska music from the fifties, which is a really interesting time because they were all jazz guys as well in Jamaica and really good jazz players, and and they sort of took took this sort of American music and and changed it in, into their own sort of style of music mm-hmm. and um but and they had double bass and they had piano and they had horns and um but it was a really um sort of f- friendly music you know it was really welcoming and stuff and so and so that's what the Utes was originally formed to play so we started playing this sort of early ska calypso music and then and then I'm not sure who the idea came to maybe it was Joe first and we just sort of thought, oh, hang on. There's all these tunes we learnt when we were at school that would be really, really cool and work really well. And so I think we tried one, you know. It was probably um, Tu Te Ramai Naiwi, I think. Mm-hmm. And it just, it, was, it worked so well. I've never experienced that before, you know, where suddenly it was like, boom. And then we thought, well, let's, you know, rack in our brains. What are all the what tunes all we, the used other, to, little... we used to sing at school? And... And they're, they're beautiful and they worked really well. And then we thought, well, far out. Let's record this 
and um, and make it so that you know people can sing along and and have a good time. Yeah, and because um, because it's instrumental as well, I think it it's cool because you can yes. chuck it on and um, <laughs> dee 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 dee. <laughs> toe tapping and <laughs> yeah, and it, it also harks back. You know, there's a whole tradition. You know, the the, the Maori show bands and um, you know, so really. Oh. On the, oh, the dog almost oh. fell over there. there you <laughs> and so, um, because when I first heard it, I thought, oh my gosh, who is this group number one? And then I started, you know, got a lot of um, airplay. I know that Māori Television play, the Ute soundtracks um, a lot. What do you think it, it, it kind of caught on? Just this, their famili- familiarity? Um, yes. Um, I think... The, the happiness maybe in in the music, I mean, as a as a as a jazz guy, I, the, um, instrumental music has always been my thing. But it's it can be hard for, you know. I remember trying to get my sister into John Coltrane, you know, and Miles Davis. Wow. And she just it's just like noise to her, <laughs> and I think. But this is, to me, the, and the Utes music exactly the same as, as that in a way, because it's, but it's something that everyone can hear. And, and also, uh, I think we've, we put our own sort of spin on it, so we're not just, um, you know, imitating. We're sort of trying to maybe innovate a bit as well, yeah. Since that time, which is six months ago, thereabouts, um, we've been just working it through and trying to. He keeps reminding me of the things that he feels um, made the choir come to an end, a stop back in the 2000, you know, early 2000. Uh, so we're, we're trying to develop a strategy whereby we can get rid of all these the, the negative things. Um, and try and put more in place, I suppose, looking at it from a business kind of yeah. um, aspect. But <clears throat> any way to, to be able to sustain it, um, the three things that he asked for, one was the name. I said, all right, National Māori Choir, but we'll just put Aotearoa before it. <laughs> then that'll distinguish that, you know, this reformation compared to the earlier one. Um, so it's now the Aotearoa National Māori Choir. That's cool. Okay. And so how did this collaboration between the Aotearoa National Māori Choir and the Utes happen? I don't know, but they're <laughs> going to cost me a lot of money, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. if, I can, if I can bring you, Ian, into the conversation, please. Um, thank you. Ian Gordon, is it? Yeah. Yes. Ian, could you please explain your role with, with the Utes? I'll just get you to hold. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm the, I play the piano in the Utes, and... Um, 
yeah, I'm just one of, one of the band members, and uh, we all share different different roles. So uh, for different gigs and different situations, and for this particular gig, I've been working with you know sort of closer with Rim and getting the getting the music sorted out, getting the arrangements sorted out, and just um, being the sort of go-to person to um, to to make the musical sort of qualities of the two bands actually join together and and um, sound good. Is that a tough process? Oh, it's not, it's not a tough process. It's just been um, I've learned heaps uh, working with Rim because he's cool. been sending us like um, notation musical charts and we can read, but we don't often use musical charts for um, for playing music the way that we normally play it. So been a little bit of adjustment there for us just to get used to that and to reading music in, in this environment. Um, but that's been a challenge for us and and um, I've really so I've, you know, I've learnt, learnt stuff there. And so no, it hasn't been a tough process, it's just taken a little bit of time. Mm. Um, and it's just different to the way that we normally do it, but that's, that's been great. It needs to be, you know. Yeah. Rim, had you heard of the Utes before? You can hold on to that, Ian. Okay. I did um, <clears throat> hear about a friend of mine from down who lives down here, but he's originally from Rotorua, Fred McRae, asked me if, um, if I'd heard, about the, heard the Utes music, and I said, no, what, what's that about? And he started telling me. <clears throat> I thought, yeah, that sounded like a lot of fun, uh, what he explained at that time. <clears throat> Since then, and we met about September, that I came down here and listened to the band perform here. So uh, I had listened to some of their tracks. Yes. So I was trying to be honest and forthright and say, well, you're a bit loose. <laughs> I said, if you're going to be singing, playing with the choir, you're going to have to try and tighten it up a bit because um, only because of the attitude that they play it, you know, which is in a way a Māori kind of way of playing it. But with the choir, we've actually gone out of the sounding like a Māori choir into something else. And with the ten parts, it, um, it is regimented and disciplined with the chord structure to get those ten parts. So the looseness is sometimes the chords that they play are like Māori-type chords. Yes, yes, yes. So, you know, we've had to speak about that and sort of uh, nut all that out and the collaboration. But I think it's going to work great. Yeah, today will be the day it's our, it's our, it's our first rehearsal. So it's sort Sunday of really, morning. really setting the boundaries and, the, and defining exactly what this needs to be. So yeah. we've been practising with... Uh, bit more regimented, so we're going to try to impress room today. <laughs> yes, I mean, um, there's going to be 80 people on the stage, I understand. Singers. Yeah. singers. Um, how are you preparing when there's, obviously there's not 80 singers here, how do you do that? We put them in strategic places on the stage. The band's got their own position and the choir will have to sort of be in such a way they can actually watch, see what I'm doing and um, the band is also going to have to follow me. I'm going to feel real powerful. <laughs> the 12 in the band and 80 singers, yeah. Um, That's probably the biggest you've ever collaboration on stage you've been involved with. Oh, dear. Oh? No. Uh, the Chris, first Christmas in the park was a bit of an experience. Um, I was sort of the lead conductor. We had 350 in the choir. Well, there was 250 of the Auckland Coral um, Coral Society and um, had 100 from the National Māori Choir, so there's 350. We had a 10-piece band led by Bruce King on drums 
And then we had the New Zealand Symphony Orchestra. And everybody was having to follow me. So it was like I had all these people to... Wow, so how go. amazing. Um, looking forward to WOMAD, Ian? Yeah, always look forward second to Second one WOMAD. for the Utes. No, this is second one for the Utes. And, yeah, I've, I've played it a few times now. And I, it's one of the best. And I, I tour a lot around the world, and it's definitely one of the best festivals that I play on in the world. It's, it's right up there. It's the most beautiful venue and amazing music. And mm. it's an honour to play. Yeah, always. Fantastic. Um, I'm, I'm running into rehearsal time. Anything yep. to add, Rim? No, I'm just looking Ready? forward... Not only the rehearsal today, but more especially Sunday's outcome. I think it's going to be magical. Yep, we do too. Thank you. Thank you, thank you so much. Kia ora, Justine with Rimdi Paul from the Aotearoa National Māori Choir, Ian Gordon of Fat Freddy's fame, and Daniel Yeebsley from The Utes. Now, we didn't make WOMAD this year, but here's a small snippet of their performances from Tanaki. <laughs> Okay, that Waiata, of course, originally performed by the Pātia Māori Club. For pictures of my visit to the rehearsal, uh, you can head to radionz.co.nz forward slash te ahika. And you can always get in touch with us at any time. Send an email, te ahika at radionz.co.nz. You may want to comment on the backlash opinions out there about officially calling te waiponamu, te waiponamu and te kā Māori, te ikā Māori. Those of you unsure about what we're talking about, head to our Facebook. Just tap in Tehika T E A H I K Tehika Radio New Zealand National. When Afina Tumi first entered Whanganui Regional Museum, there were a number of things she wanted corrected. One being the pronunciation of the greeting on the museum telephones from Tina Kwei to Tina Kwei. Two years, many meetings and a financial commitment later, and she was successful. This has been just one of the many changes she has implemented in her role as Kaitiaki Taonga Māori. Things that as punters we may not even notice or in some cases take for granted now like bilingual labelling of exhibits, listing posts in Te Reo Pākehā and Te Reo Māori. Afina joins us now as we revisit Whanganui Regional Museum. We had uh, people that were working around this time, uh, around this museum in the old days, that used to like doing models of actual um, taonga and how they work. So when you look at the waka waituhi here, in this case with our, the manu on it, They've made a small type model to see how... Could you describe it? So what this is showing is um, 
they're like the nooses, aren't they? They'd put it's like a trough. Yeah. You have a trough, and you have. So the the large wooden troughs are in the, quite often made out of tortara, um or whatever wood is available at that particular time. Um, in it, you put water and you hang them near the favourite feeding place of the money that you're after, um, especially the kiridu, which when it feeds on the meadow gets really, really thirsty. And so it's looking for water. And of course, I don't know how many of you know about kiridu, but they tend to overeat and they look like us on Christmas Day. So they get really fat and they're just sort of sitting there. And so they're easy to catch. They're also tame. They didn't really know about a lot of predator uh, we didn't have those predators that they have nowadays. So they, they weren't aware of what they should be scared of. Mm. So these, these troughs would just stay there, and all you do is you put water in them. They get used to drinking out of them. And then when it gets towards the season, uh, which around here is the time of Puanga, um, on the, most of the other coast it's, it's uh, Matariki, yep. then you would come back and you'd erect the nooses on the side. So there's a series of nooses uh, erected along the edge um, near where the bird would usually light their feet. And when they put their head forward, they end up... You won't get all of them, because some of them won't put their head through the noose, but there'll be a good majority of them <laughs> that will stick their head through the noose to, and have a drink, and it's not till they pull backwards that, that the, the noose, noose tightens. And, and, and because if you appreciate the bird's feathers, that also helps the noose to stop coming mm. off. The more it pulls and struggles, it ends up... Um, hanging itself, it commits yeah. suicide. So we've got a range of different traps um, that are displayed within this case um, on, and how they were used. And it's only a small range of, of traps and things. And, and people appreciate seeing those. And we also, you've got to come backwards with me. Come back here. And look up above the case. Oh, so right. those are tall, used to, to get kiridu they're sitting up in the tree. Jeez, they're blinking long. Yeah. They're like spears. How, yeah. how long is that? Oh, About that, that would have to be a good five, five metres. metres. Yeah, now my mum... It's like a javelin. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, my mum was brought up. Um, she was a whangai up into Tūwhare Tour uh, with um, Rato, Rato Downs she was, and, and Ross Cornery. So they live pretty simple. She was actually um, whāngai to Ross's mum first, Tangiaraki. And so when she lived with that kuya, that's where, how she learned a lot of uh, traditional uh, food gathering. Mm -hmm. So when I talked to her about tau, she goes, oh, I remember doing that with my kuya. And uh, sneaking up on them, she said she had to catch them. It was her job to catch them. And oh, yeah. um, You'd need some serious strength to huff that up into a tree. No, you don't huff it. What do you do? Well, the, like I said, when they get all um, full. full and they're just sitting there, they've got to sleep. Oh, so, so you, you just, just sneak up, up uh, underneath it and you just stick it. Oh, yeah. And, but it was her, one of her jobs was to catch them because if they get too full, when they fall, they implode on, and on, yeah, a, yeah, yeah. on contact with the ground and they explode all over the place. Um, so, <laughs> so her job was what? To catch to them? To catch the birds as they come down. <laughs> No, I suppose you shouldn't say that because, you know, that was, I think it was, might, might have been outlawed by them. But, um, you know, it's nice to have these, this quarter firsthand from my mum to go along with quarter that I read as mm -hmm. well. Um, and and <coughs> what they would do, you know, w with the leftover feathers and things like that to, for, for bedding and all that sort of stuff. Uh, they, but this, the person who made the model also made other models. A huge hinaki. Is that a hinaki? It is a hinaki. It's, it's, a really it's for hinaki. catching tuna. <coughs> yep. And then underneath we've got 
how the pātuna was set up. Gosh, and this the person loved making models, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, well, it was part of a scheme that was put together by the Carnegie Museums Trust, and their thing was to, to build models. And you could get funding back then. I don't know exactly how much it was. It might be a few pounds, but that was enough to, to create these models. So um, the pātuna that were erected out into the awa... Wow. Um, and then when the awa flooded, you, you rode up against the stream up against the flow and, and you dropped your hinaki in uh, like, like such. So it was good to, and they've even gone and put how the water would flow so that you can see how you would wow. set it up. Um, but it, it's wonderful. People come in, they look at it and they go, oh, and it gives context to, instead of just seeing this big thing and thinking, oh, I wonder how that works. Yeah. Um, it gives it a bit of context. This is how it works. And then we've got korotete beside them, and I find korotete to be wonderful. Like we've got different size hinaki, and utupiharo, um, the, the piharo around here we, we have a, it's called lamprey in England. Oh yeah. Um, uh, it's a That's real, a type of eel. Yeah, it looks like an eel, mm. but, but it's got uh, suckers, yeah, uh, and it's blind, and they get really really fatty. So that's a major. What are they called again? Piharo. Piharo. That's a major kai around this area. So we've got different types of hinaki here for different size family, um, and we have korotete. I, li I like working here because I find out so much. I've done some different stuff with other work that I've done, but, you know, you, you find out so much. So korotete. And Afina, I guess it's also, um, it ends up, you, you know, it's quite harsh and kōrero. Yeah, yeah. And I like to say that to children, you know, look how... How onto Enterprising. it. Enterprising. Yeah, our tūpuna were. They came mm. here, didn't know what the lay of the land was. The plants that they brought with them to make clothes died. They found harakeke. Mm. Harakeke turned out to be the best mm. thing in the world. You know, um, and you, can, you can make so much out of it. But korotete is this large basket thing, and I was wondering when I got here, what are these? And they're, they're to store live eels in. Oh, yeah. So you, you store, you put I mean, them look in at there. the weave on that. Yeah, it's gorgeous. And then you tie that. The, the lid back down, you can see the little loops yes. going from the lid back down onto the korotete, and then you drop that back into the river. Streams, oh, yeah. actually, not, so not river. So they stay fresh. So they stay, they stay alive in there, mm. and you know, if you get them when they're nice and fatty, and especially during the winter season when you don't want to go out mm. to get, go eel and get fresh meat, um, you just go down. They can eat what's coming through the water too, um, because the weave allows that. Mm. You just go down, pull your korotete in, Take out, take out a, a live tuna, go home. Because that's the other part of um, Māori life, wasn't it? Was being seasonal, yeah. storing kai yeah. when it was the right season. Yeah, you know, because... So the diet did end up, yeah. you know, it was varied. And I say to the children, you know, because um, they don't understand. I say... Um, there was no shops. Yeah, there's no pack and save. There's no <laughs> new world. There is no Woolworths. Where are you going to get food from? Um, they don't have a concept. If, if Manuhiri arrive, if your visitors arrive, you can't just say, I'll, just, I'll be back in a second, I'm just mm -hmm. going to pop out. You had to have food there the whole time because we know as Māori, to be caught without food is the biggest shame that you can have. You have to be able to manaki. A, a person that cannot manaki Manuhiri is talked about forever and ever. Amene, you know, and, but on the same note, a person who can and does it well it's talked talk about for forever and ever and ever. ever, 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 ever. <laughs> you know, so it, it's, it goes both ways, you know. Yeah. And so I like to tell the children, you know, about, uh, you know, the innovation of Māori. And uh, 
and sometimes I even like I'll get we have get a some tiny corn now. Yep, tiny corn. We've got some. I've got a beautiful kaitaka, paipairoa, right. um, which is a type of cloak. Um, and I. I mean, these taonga are old. Yeah, these are these are very very. And look old. how well they've lasted. Yeah, we're actually going to be changing them out. When I this is the next this whole court that we're walking through is the next area that we're going to look at. Oh, yeah. I'm going to take the labels. Um, and then we're going to also change out some of the things that should have been retired because for textiles, as in clothing, they become they, well, they shouldn't be out that long. Yeah, it makes them fragile. And when you retire them, what happens to them? We put them into nice storage and make sure that they're, that they're looked after there. It's just, you know, you're supposed to rotate things on a regular basis. So we don't ro retire them out of the system. They just rotate so that other people can appreciate. You can appreciate other taonga as well. Um, but you can still see. We don't have. What you can see in any museum is a fraction of what is actually there. Um, so we have storage areas that are still. Oh, so full. how do you make the choice of what gets, yeah. what gets seen? That's the thing. And generally, it's about. For us, it's about provenance, um, and that's a term that they use within the museums, provenance and non-provenance. Provenance means we, have, we know where it's from, and if we have good provenance, it means that we've probably got a story that goes with oh, yeah. who it came from, who made it perhaps, why it came here. Um, and then there's unprovenanced, which we don't know anything about because the, um, the system that they use to accession or to bring things into the museum. There was no real system back in the old days. So you'd be lucky if you find an old note that says one kurawai, one tiki was received on this particular day. It won't say who from, it won't say which kurawai. So when we're trying to look for those things and, and put a date on it or say when it arrived here, we can't always find out. Mm. So we don't know what, yeah. So we more Lean, we lean more towards things that are provenance from the wider area that we, we service. Because that's what people around here would like to see. They want to know about Gosh, themselves. There's a fly in there. There I is not. I just saw a fly. Anyway. I'm trying to figure out where it came from. <laughs> um, yeah, so, yes. so we're going to take these and we're going to retire some, bring some other ones out into the light, write some new labels, make sure it's Māori first. In English. Now, if you're now handling these taonga, I mean, are you dousing yourself with water on a regular basis? Um, I think everybody should be aware of karakia. So, protection for yourself is not something that you rely on others for. So, even when I first arrived here for my um, for my porphyry, when I was welcomed in. Um, and I was given an opportunity to speak. I didn't speak to my colleagues. Oh, yeah. I got up and did a pao to all the tūpuna here and, you know, asked them, well, I told them why I was here. I said I was, you know, that I wanted to help to look after them and that I hoped that they would look after me too. But you always have to, you know, and sometimes you have to be aware of... of, of things. So you, sometimes you can feel, I need to do another karakia. <laughs> sometimes you feel, okay, 
what I've done is sufficient and I'm going to do what I need to do now. But quite often I find that if you do things respectfully, if you talk to the tongue, they understand. Because even though not everybody will believe, um, what keeps me safe is what keeps me safe. And that might be what the difference between what kept me safe and what didn't keep you safe. So, <laughs> so I'll look after myself as a person, as a wahine especially, um, and uh, to always try to be respectful of, uh, of my thoughts when I'm dealing with taonga, because if you're thinking it, you might as well be saying it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, uh, That's right. You know, so we've, we've done some different things. Um, this was an innovation that came... This that, is now taonga puoro. Yep, taonga puoro. Um, for those who don't understand, that's musical instruments. We only have a small selection, and actually I'd really love to... Yeah. If, if, um, So what I've just done there is press a button that says Pūtōrino, and that's what we can hear. So it shows the, the picture. Um, for those who don't know, it'll show a picture of the actual tonga itself that's in the case. And so even if they don't get in the beginning, they should be able to get in the end that, oh, when I press this button, this here, this one here is my favourite. Okay, the I think it's pointing towards the nudie, so of course we've got to bust it out. <laughs> Muru. <laughs> now, what people don't may not know about the nudu is that it, it's held up against your nose, and yeah. it's the breath going through your nose that actually makes the sound. Yeah. And so this one here is it's a beautiful one. It was made out of a, a whale's tooth. Um, and when I first started here, these these will have been on display oh, ever since a child. I've come into this museum. Um, I hadn't for a while when I was an adult because I didn't think anything changed. But as a child, I remember playing in the street that I now watch other kids play in, mm -hmm. which is an old, it's a replication of, of the Panganui streets in, in the 1800s. Um, and I remember coming down here and seeing all these taonga, and, and especially these taonga pūro, and thinking, man, I'd love to play those. So <laughs> um, luckily about three or four months after I arrived, one of the courses that I was given to teach was taonga pūro, and I was looking at the education kit, because we don't just grab all our tongue out and start playing them. So I was given the education kit, and I decided um, to try and play the ones that were there. They said to me, oh, those ones don't work. And it was a pūtōrino that wasn't working. And I thought, oh, no. So I took it home to have a play with it, and uh, it was the, se the it hadn't been sealed enough, really. So... I did a bit of a, 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 a job on it. It's not the best job, but just sealed it a little bit more. And it now makes sound, and they're like, oh, you can play them. I said, not well. But <laughs> it's, oh, can you play something, some of these for a soundscape for us? So that people come in, they see them, they think, I wonder what that sounds like. Yeah. And so luckily, and I'm, and I'm, mm, I'm a pleb. 
um, at playing Tonga Pūro versus oh, you know, I did say I'm not good. Um, so we decided we'll have a shot at it. Some of them they turned down like Pūtātara because they thought it was too loud. And it was um, the front of house were getting startled <laughs> all the time when, when Pūtātara would start to, to do his thing, which is good because that's what his job was, that's you know. Right. Um, but for me, it was a really great thing about having to, I get the opportunity to do something that I've always wanted to do, um, but also to to help other people to hear, you know, te reo o nehe, the, you know, the, the same sound that our tupuna heard would have been better, but the same sound that our tupuna heard uh, through some of these tongue portal. And I just, I said to them, look, I want to be able to put the name and how it's said, and that's why you hear before it. Uh, so that people don't look at it and, and, and yeah, and butcher it. I yeah. really don't like mm. that. So it was. I mean, eventually, to... I guess you could do that with everything here. Yeah, and well, you know, that's been one of our dreams. Kia ora, hafina tumi, kaitiaki taonga Māori, Whanganui Regional Museum, no Ngāti Kahunganu, Tiati Honui Apaparangi, me Ngāti Raukawa Kititonga. As you know, it was Te Hui Ahurea Tuhoi last weekend in Oratoki. While the event is basically a huge homecoming for the 40,000 descendants of the iwi, it's always good to see the whanau, in between the sports watching, haka and all-round speed catch-ups, Tuhoi we're talking about the signing of the deeds of settlement. The Raruraru, with a building going up in Taneatua, and the treatment of Ngāti Haka Patu Heuheu, a hapu of Waioho, and Ngāti Ruapani. Confused? Well, join the queue. In a few weeks' time, Mariah will present a programme about the Raupatsu and the damage to personal relationships wrought as a result of participating in the claims process. Anaya Afinatumi Anno Metifakatoki. Kangu Tehoi Itewai. Move your paddle silently through the water. You shouldn't be impacting on any other thing in the world when you want to accomplish something. So this is your low impact. Kia ngū tōhoi i te mai. Next week, an iwi position on justice reform. And I'm with Māori Chef Charles Royal. Forest foraging. He mihi ki nga kai kōrero i tēnei wiki. Atu i tērā ki ngā kaimahi rā wikiwiki, nā mihi. Mati whānau a te ahi kā ki a tātou katoa, mauri ora.